Welcome. You're listening to The Cove, the Australian Army's professional development network. I'm Major Liz Bolton, your host for today. 73 years ago, the D-Day landings at Normandy got underway. Key to protecting the Allied forces were the actions of the French resistance fighters, the McKee, who worked to frustrate and hinder the occupying Germans' ability to respond. Among the fray, in this most crucial fighting force was an Australian, Nancy Wake, ACGM, Australia's most famous war heroine. To learn more about Nancy Wake, I'm talking with Major White Fraser. White is an Ordnance Corps officer currently working as an instructor at the Army's Logistic Training Centre in the Albury-Wodonga region. Over his career, he served in one, three and 16 brigades and deployed to East Timor and Afghanistan. He's married to Nikita, and a father to Tamika, aged six, Sydney, aged three, and Nancy, aged one. Nancy? Yes, that's right, Nancy. Wyatt, Nikita's youngest daughter, has been named after Nancy Wake. Wyatt is here to tell us about what inspired that choice and also to share his thoughts on balancing dad duties with serving in the army. Wyatt, welcome and thanks for being on the show. No worries, happy to be here. So Wyatt, could you refresh us all on who Nancy Wake was? She was a war heroine, but she wasn't an accidental war heroine. Um, a lot of people that we get bravery medals um, over the over time sort of do so in frenzied one-off actions. Not all. Some are some are you know do lots of brave things. Some, but some are a lot you know very very accidental in a bit of a frenzy. Do some amazing stuff. Get a get decorated for it. Nancy Wake is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. She literally spent months and years doing heroic stuff, living on a knife edge, taking massive risks. She partook in small commando raids. She led very large military operations um, in occupied France in World War II. Um, she just, she's a really, really interesting character and she's really interesting to learn about. And that's why I suppose I named my daughter after her because um, I'd be happy for anyone to know the story of Nancy Wake. And it's a story that says that you can do anything regardless of your background, regardless of what good or bad luck you have in your life, um, and you can really face some pretty extreme adversity. So what would you say were her key achievements? What were the highlights? Uh, she started out in World War II. Actually, I'll start before World War II. She was a journalist. Um, so she got to witness the lead into World War II firsthand. She was literally metres from Hitler at various rallies, political rallies that he held. So she watched and reported on everything that Hitler did, uh, and she vowed that um, she was going to do whatever she could to stop this guy. Um, as it happened, war broke out. She lived in France, um, and that opportunity came. Um, at first, she literally volunteered. She was trained as a nurse before the war, so she volunteered completely off her own back, uh, purchased a vehicle, and was just a freelance, uh, freelance ambulance operator, uh, collecting and treating wounded soldiers, uh, because the the existing system couldn't cope with what was going on. Um, when things settled down after uh, France was occupied, she worked as a spy and as a courier, um, getting downed, uh, downed air crew or uh, allied prisoners, as well as a lot of Jews out of France, which was a an extremely dangerous job. She eventually got the dubious honor of being the most wanted on the, um, on the uh, Gestapo's most wanted list, which is, you know, not a comfortable honour to have. Um, so she literally lived on a knife edge there being hunted. Um, she escaped from 
when life got too dangerous for her, she escaped from occupied France. Uh, in doing so, she had to get, out, get over the Alps. Uh, now, that's not, you know, put your pack on your back and go for a walk on a weekend like we do. By getting over the Alps, this is in winter, uh, in an occupied country, being chased. Um, she tried and failed several times. This was literally over the course of a number of months it took her to get out of the country. Um, just that on its own as a physical achievement, I'm pretty impressed with. Uh, she got back to England safely and went straight back into the fold. She sought out you know, ways that she could continue to, to uh, oppose Hitler and that led to her doing training with the Special Operations Executive, the SOE with the British, so effectively secret agents. Um, she was well connected within France. She had a, a reputation that was known uh, in, among the secret agent community in Britain because of the work she'd already done. Um, from there, she underwent training, which was effectively kind of special forces training by today's standards, um, close combat, unarmed combat, all manner of weapons, uh, demolitions, things that uh, are pretty amazing for anyone to learn. But this is, you know, a girl who grew up in country Australia, who ran away from home, who made her way to Europe, um, who lived a very, you know, fast and loose life there. And now she is, you know, she's an elite uh, member of the military so what happened next? How did she get back into the main game? Uh, she parachuted into uh, occupied France. Her job there was a number of things. The resistance movement in France was actually a large conglomeration of disparate uh, movements with, with different motivations. Some were communists, um, some really hated the Nazis, some were just really positioning themselves to be in powerful positions when the war ended because they knew it would war would end eventually. So she had to cajole and influence and, you know, manipulate all of these groups to unify them um, and then organise armed shipments for them. So there's, that's the diplomat part. Mm. Then she was just, she was a logistician. She organised airdrops and I'm talking like airdrops every second night. That on its own is a difficult job doing it in an occupied country under secrecy. And these are airdrops of hundreds of tons and of ammunition and weapons. Then she got the airdrops. She had to manage a uh, network to distribute them to all of these disparate groups of uh, fighters. Um, this is stuff that I struggle to do in Australia most of the time in peacetime. And reading about what she was doing in wartime in an occupied country is just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, it, it was the breadth of her actions over a long time, which was so remarkable. It, my my favourite Nancy Wake story is when she had to cycle about 200 kilometres in a day and a half to find some elusive radio operator that the McKee desperately needed. The route was through thickly occupied Nazi territory. What I found funny was that her main tactical consideration was the need to keep her dress crinkle-free and her hair and makeup neat and tidy while she was cycling. This was important because if she looked a little bit tired or dishevelled, she'd come under immediate suspicion. You know, what a, a crazy tactical consideration and, and great tactical cunning. Yeah, and she, uh, she joked about how she would flirt. She was a terrible flirt with the German soldiers that she'd like ride up to them and go, you know, and literally present herself and go, are you going to search me? And they'd sort of wave her past and laugh her off. Yeah, just on that, it seems that her femininity was part of her strength. I mean... It allowed her a different range of tactical options. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Nancy Wake never had to forego her femininity at any time, A, because the example you just gave, it was clearly a, a benefit to her as a spy. But then um, later in the war when she was you know, leading commando raids and 
presiding over executions and uh, leading very, very large combat operations. I'm talking hundreds and thousands of uh, resistance soldiers um, tying up German soldiers behind the lines just after D-Day. She never had to forego her femininity because what people knew was that she was extremely brave and she was a master tactician uh, and she was good with weapons. Uh, and, you know, she was effectively, she was a fantastic warrior. And that's all that people cared about was that she killed Germans. Um, so there was no need for her to put on any sort of mask of try to pretend to be, to pretend to be masculine or suppress her femininity. Uh, it just didn't seem to be an issue or no one asked it of her and she didn't demand it of herself. Um, it was a non, complete non-issue, wasn't it? Yeah, what mattered was killing Germans uh, and she was good at it and that was the end of the story. What does she do after the war? Um, I suppose it's a bit, it's kind of an anticlimax to the book. At the end of the war, um, and it is, I suppose is a metaphor for all the other women in the war who went and worked in factories and then, you know, did great things and then just went back to doing whatever they were doing before the war. Um, she effectively couldn't get a job after the war. She ended up getting a job, I think it was in the Australian Embassy or the Australian uh, High Commission's passport office. So she went from, you know, doing those great things, being in command of so many people to driving a desk and a, a stamp pad and stamping paperwork. Um, that was her job for a couple of years while she remained in Europe before she came back to Australia. Um, I, I suppose that's where society, you know, World War II was an epochal event and society was a, capable of some great things. Some great things happened and she was, she did great things, but then people just returned to normalcy very quickly afterwards. And, and their normalcy, obviously, by our stage was, by our standards today was, you know, not as progressive. So that kind of does shock me. And I think it's been raised before that, you know, why didn't the feminist movement start on the last day of World War II? There was kind of a, a 20 or 30 year lull in the, um, after World War II before they got momentum. Um, mm. And this is just, she's another example of that. That lull makes me think about the current generation of young people and you're naming your daughter after Nancy Wake. And this suggests you're somebody who thinks very seriously about fatherhood and the values you wish to impart to your children. So on that, parenthood, fatherhood, can you talk about how is it being a father and serving in the army these days? I've been very happy with how I've been treated. Um, you know, flexible work arrangements, all these sort of things. I know that um, they're not gender specific. They apply to men just as they do to women. Uh, one of my one of my former subordinates, his wife's an officer in the RAF. She's about to go overseas for six months and he'll be at home looking after the kids. So uh, I know a couple of other uh, males in the military in general who've, you know, stayed at home and looked after the kids when their partners have deployed. Uh, so in that regard, I suppose we've, we've achieved what was considered the uh, the pinnacle of uh, work flexibility to be able to stay at home, look after your kids. Any other thoughts about dad life and army life? I suppose that being a father in the military, um, it's probably good because it's kept me fit and it's kept me young, which is good for, you know, playing and mucking around with kids and being playful because I'm always dealing with people younger than me. Um, so that, I suppose, is probably a massive benefit to fatherhood that the army has given me. Um, fatherhood's probably also given me a lot of patience. And I remember seeing an interview with a sergeant in Afghanistan in the, one of the first mentoring task force. That's what he said. He said, like, working with the Afghanis, he needed so much patience, and being a father was what gave that to him. Nothing else gave that to him. Wow. Um, so in that regard... Um, so it's like a second training ground. Yeah. Uh, so in that regard, I suppose, you know, 
the army has helped me be a father and being a father has helped me in the army. On character, can you talk about the attributes you most admire? Um, if my daughter grows up exactly like her, she'll probably cause me a lot of stress. But what I suppose, um, she, she's a very likeable character and she's a character that you can get to know. A lot, of, a lot of heroes and heroines, you read their stories and they seem unattainable, they seem perfect. Um, couldn't be further from the truth for Nancy Wake. She, she disagreed violently with her mother. She came from a broken home. She ran away from home. Um, she drank, she smoked, she partied hard. Um, she traveled around the world. Um, and then she went on to become this, this brave hero. So I love the fact that her story is one of an ordinary person with ordinary motivations who becomes this fantastic heroine. She's just a normal, likable Australian with the normal vices of an Australian, but then put in these extraordinary circumstances, she does extraordinary things. And that's, I suppose, taking that back to naming my daughter after. I love the fact that she's an example of a normal person, can do anything they want and overcome any adversary, adversity. Um, I just hope that my, my Nancy doesn't cause me as much trouble as Nancy caused to her mother in her childhood. <laughs> Wyatt, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for being here. No worries. That was Major Wyatt Fraser, a great Australian with a great yarn to tell. Nancy Wake was born in 1919, the year that World War I ended. She spent her childhood seeing and hearing about the Anzacs. 100 years later, children like Nancy Fraser, Wyatt's one-year-old daughter, arrive at the end of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. They are born into the modern era of global terrorism. In 20 years, some of these children will grow up to be soldiers. They will undoubtedly face great challenges. Nancy Wake's story is something we can give to them, something they and we can take with us in dark times. Finding herself in one of the most atrocious periods in world history, Nancy Wake shone. She stood up. She displayed strength, bravery, dynamism and resourcefulness. She was all initiative. Nancy Wake reminds us of the unlimited potential of the human spirit. <laughs>